0: I'll be reading from First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, verses 22 through, twenty-two through twenty-six. For all in Adam, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order: Christ the firstfruits; then at his coming those who belong to Christ; then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Hasn't it been a great day to be a part of the Katy congregation? It's a wonderful thing to see this morning, 14 additional deacons installed. And somebody said, I think the number is 36 that are serving as deacons now here uh, at, at the congregation here. We're thankful for you and for your work, those of you who are deacons. We're also blessed with 11 elders. And all of this is setting the stage for us as a congregation to be able to do even more in reaching the lost, in bringing people to Christ, and in building up the body of Christ. And so we're thankful to God for blessing us. We're thankful so much to each of you for the part that you play because you're important to the church that meets here at Katie. We're thankful for all of you. I know we've got some visitors with us tonight. We're really glad that you're with us. Thank you for being a part of our worship assembly this evening. The lesson is entitled Premillennialism. And that's a teaching, it's a doctrine that the Bible does not support, does not sustain. So by definition it is a false doctrine. And as we think about this particular doctrine, I, I wanted to talk about it tonight because on Sunday mornings in our auditorium class, we've been studying from the book of Isaiah. And I've already said some things that, uh, that kind of go to this particular teaching and I've had a number of questions just individually after class about this particular doctrine. And not only that, there's much more in Isaiah that we're going to have to deal with along these lines. So I thought, well, let's let's just do a Sunday night lesson on this particular teaching because it is so prevalent, it is so popular. You know the, the Left Behind books? You know what I'm talking about? The Left Behind series. There, there was a series of movies that were made about it as well. All of those books are teaching the doctrine of premillennialism. And the idea of premillennialism is basically this. It's basically the idea that we are not yet in the end times that jesus is going to return at some point and he is going to establish a millennial that's where the word comes from a 1000-year kingdom on earth i'm a visual person i like to see things on a timeline when i would hear men preach about premillennialism in the past i had a hard time kind of keeping the facts in my head the facts straight about what's being said what's being done and i want to say this at the start number this evening I am oversimplifying some things for convenience sake, for teaching's sake, and I freely admit that I would love to be able to study with somebody. If, if, if you say, John, you didn't get that quite right, you didn't represent accurately what we who are premillennialists believe, I'd, I'd love to talk to you because I want to be accurate and fairly represent people who believe this particular teaching. But as a visual person, let me just show you, and this is on your handouts, if you picked up a sermon sheet, let me just show you visually what is being taught on a timeline. And the timeline goes basically like this. As you see on the timeline on the screen, from the cross began what is called the church age. We're living in the church age right now, a premillennialist would say. And the next big event they would argue that is going to happen is the rapture of the church. And I've got two arrows there, one going up and one coming down. And the idea of a rapture, we'll talk about this in a few moments more in detail, is that Jesus is going to at some point secretly return and he's going to take all of those who are Christians with him to heaven. And the rest of us who are not Christians will be left behind. After the rapture, immediately will begin a seven-year period of tribulation, a period of wars and holocausts and nuclear wars and genocides, such as the world has never seen, they teach. And at the end of that seven years, a great colossal battle will happen called the Battle of Armageddon, and Jesus will return just in the nick of time, and the Battle of Armageddon will be won by Christ and his forces. That's the second coming of Jesus. And from that point will begin the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Jesus, they say, is going to come back to this earth. He's going to rebuild and reestablish the temple in Jerusalem. And he's going to reign for 1,000 years on this planet on the literal throne of David. Following the thousand-year reign will be what's called the great white throne judgment. It's not on the screen there, but it's that line. And after the great white throne judgment will begin eternity, heaven and hell. That's the doctrine in a nutshell. And again, I've oversimplified a couple of things. Premillennialists, by the way, would disagree about when the rapture takes place. Some would say it takes place before the tribulation. Some would say it takes place in the middle of the tribulation. And some would say it takes place at the end of the seven years of tribulation. But those are finer details. That's the general gist of what's being said. Here's what the Bible teaches. I'm going to put it up on the, on the screen for comparison. The Bible teaches differently. The Bible teaches that after the cross, Jesus established his church, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And we are living in the New Testament church age. We are also a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. More about this in just a moment. We would part company with those who believe in premillennialism on this issue of when does the kingdom begin? Does the kingdom begin after the seven-year tribulation or did the kingdom begin in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost? I believe it began on Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And I believe that you and I right now today can be and know that we are a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. One day, the Bible teaches, Jesus will return from heaven and all of those things you see over on the right side of the screen will take place in rapid succession. There will not be years between these events. They will all take place on the same day. The resurrection of all the dead, both good and evil, the second coming of Christ, the final judgment, the earth being destroyed, and the beginning of eternity, the great judgment of God, all, be, all happen at the same time on the same day. The Bible teaches that with that in mind, and again, that's on your handout if you picked up a sermon handout on the way in, so you don't have to try to draw these notes if you don't want to. That helps me to kind of compare and contrast. And with that in mind, I'd like to share with you this evening from your Bibles three reasons why I believe the New Testament teaches the bottom outline as opposed to the top one. Why the New Testament teaches that all of these things will happen on the judgment day as opposed to being stretched out over a number of years and centuries. Fair enough? Here we go, number one this evening. I believe that premillennialism misses what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is no small matter. It's not just academics, it's not just semantics, it's not just somebody deciding that, you know, I feel differently or that's the way you see it and that's not the way I see it. Either we're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ right now or we're not. Either Jesus is king right now or he's not. There is no, you know, maybe it's both ways. That's not the way this works. And as you think about what a premillennialist would believe about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned a moment ago, they believe that we are presently in the church age. There are Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom. For example, Isaiah chapter two, verses one through five, a passage we recently studied in the auditorium class. There are passages like Daniel chapter two, verse 44. In the days of these kings, God himself will establish a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It will not be left to other men. It is a kingdom that God's going to establish. And the question is, when did he establish it? The Old Testament talked about it. When did it happen? A premillennialist would say that the Old Testament does not even bring up, does not even mention the church. Let that sink in for just a minute. They would say the Old Testament does not bring up the church age. The prophets did not foresee it. And when they talk about the kingdom from the Old Testament, they always must make it the millennial, thousand year kingdom of Christ from their doctrine. They must. So those Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom of God, they cannot be about the church because the church was not in God's mind, it was not in God's view, and the prophets couldn't see it. Let me share with you biblically some things to think about. The belief is in John chapter 1 verse 11, according to premillennialism, premillennialism, Jesus was rejected by the Jews and God did not see that coming. Jesus came unto his own, John says in John 1 verse 11, and his own did not receive him. And they would argue, well, God didn't know that was going to happen. And so the church is God's plan B. The church is, if you like football analogies, it is God having to call an audible from the line of scrimmage. You know, in football, when the quarterback gets to the line of scrimmage and he sees the defense set up in a a different way he has to call an audible he has to call a different play very quickly so that his team doesn't get destroyed and they're saying that God did that with the church that God decided that I'm going to establish the church because I didn't foresee that the Jews were going to reject my son but now that they've done so I'm going to establish the church and then Jesus will return eventually and establish the kingdom that I intended for him to have that really is the teaching and you can read the writings of those who write these things and you can see that what I'm telling you is, is real, it's true. The kingdom of Christ, it was never in the Old Testament, they say. Think about these things in distinction to that. Brothers and sisters and friends, Jesus accomplished his mission. He came to do what he he did. He came to save souls. He came to redeem us from our sins and to establish a kingdom. And in John 19, verse 30, he said, it is finished. And add to that the fact that God himself knows everything all things there is nothing that escapes his attention he has divine foreknowledge he remembers the past perfectly every detail of your past and mine and everybody else's and he knows the future intimately God is not taken by surprise first John chapter 3 verse 20 confirms this when we say that God didn't somehow see that Jesus was going to be rejected we're impugning the very nature of God himself Jesus right now brothers and sisters and friends is reigning as king. You can't have a king without a kingdom. You just can't. First Timothy 6:15 says, "which he will manifest in his own time, he who is present tense, the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords." If his kingdom has not yet been established, then Jesus is not yet the king. You follow the logic there? You can't have a king without the kingdom. Jesus is the king, and he is reigning over his kingdom. The kingdom is already established. In Colossians 1.13, the Bible writes this. Paul writes this. God has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us, some translations have transferred us, into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So when you were baptized, when you obeyed the gospel... You became a part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, Acts two forty seven. but you were also conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. The kingdom is here, it's established. You might just write down your notes, it's not on the screen, but John chapter 3 verse 5. John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus says in John 3 5, Truly I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. When we are born of water and the spirit, when we are baptized, we become a part of the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus in John 3, verse 5. The kingdom, brothers and sisters and friends, is here. It's here right now. It's among us. It's a spiritual kingdom. We don't have geography like, you know, we control territory. And, you know, if you cross over this line, you're crossing out of the kingdom. The kingdom is within us the rule of God in our hearts. And your heart and everybody else's heart, that's the territory God wants to control. That's the kingdom. The church, brothers and sisters and friends, is not an afterthought. It could not be. Not only does the Old Testament prophesy clearly about the church, but the New Testament confirms the church is the very center of God's purpose. Listen to what the highlighted words say in Ephesians three verses nine through eleven. Paul is writing about the greatness of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, and here's what he says: the manifold wisdom of God right now is being made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And then he concludes that section by saying, according According to the eternal purpose of God which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible is saying in so many words that the church is the plan. The church has always been the plan. It is the eternal plan of God. It's always been the plan. You can't say that the church was an audible called from the line of scrimmage because God did not foresee the rejection of Jesus by the, you can't say that. Because the church has always been God's plan. It is the summation of everything God's been trying to do in the world since creation and the fall of man in the garden. And when you read the rest of Ephesians, the rest of Ephesians and the rest of the New Testament bears that out. The church is of vital importance. It's the bride of Christ. It is the people of God. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Secondly, this evening, as we think about the doctrines of premillennialism, What about this doctrine of a rapture? Again, the idea is that one day, and many would argue one day soon, that Jesus will secretly return. He will not make it all the way to earth. He's not coming all the way back to this planet. He's going to come down and then those who are Christians are going to be caught up with him to meet him in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 has a passage about that. And so the idea here is that it's going to be a secret coming of Christ, the rapture, a secret coming. Nobody's going to know he's come, but he's going to come and he's going to secretly rapture away all those who are faithful to him. The word rapture comes from a Latin word, rapio, R-A-P-I-O, and a word just means caught up. And if you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17 in your Bible, you'll find that it says that at the resurrection of the dead, that those who are alive will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. It's talking about that great day, the judgment day there in 1 Thessalonians 4. But our premillennial friends would would apply that to the rapture, and they would say, that's the rapture happening in that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. What's wrong with the idea of a rapture? A couple of things that I'll just bring to your attention this evening without going into great detail. Number one is this, the return of Jesus will be far from secret. It just won't. Look at the words on the screen. First Thessalonians 4, 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, And as if it didn't say just a shout, it goes on and talks about how loud this coming will be. It says, he will come with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. I don't know what the trumpet of God sounds like, but I'm sure it's unmistakable. I'm sure it's loud. When the Lord returns, he will come with a lot of noise and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is not a secret coming. Where all of a sudden a lady wakes up in her bed in the morning and her husband's gone. He's been raptured away. or people driving down the road and all of a sudden they're gone secretly and their car crashes and careens off into the ditch. None of those things will happen because when the Lord returns, it will be a audible, visible return, not secret. What's wrong with the doctrine of the rapture? His return will be a second coming. The Bible says this. Hebrews nine twenty seven twenty eight 28. It is appointed to man to die once, and after this, the judgment. All right, now follow the logic here. He's making an analogy, the Hebrews writer is. You die, and then the judgment comes. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And then he's going to appear a second time apart from sin unto salvation. Notice the language of scripture. When Jesus returns, it will be a second coming. When you go back to the screen that I was showing you earlier, I'm gonna have to do this because I didn't plan for it in in my PowerPoint slides. How many comings do we have of Jesus? There's one. There's another one. There's this one back at the, at the ministry and the cross of Jesus. So you've got, if we're counting, one coming, two comings, and three comings. You see that? The doctrine of the rapture teaches that Jesus will return secretly, but that's not the second coming. What do you call it then? It's a problem that has to be dealt with and is insurmountable, by the way, when you look at what the scripture teaches in Hebrews 9, and 28. His return will be a second coming. As you continue thinking about what's wrong with the doctrine of the rapture, the Bible clearly teaches, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus returns, his return will signal the end of the world. This world is not going to continue at the return of Jesus. And I know that because of passages like 2 Peter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The idea here is that everything we've bought and stored and invested in, all of it is going to burn up one day. And he goes on to ask and... 1st Peter chapter or 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 if this is true if all the stuff that you have is all going to burn up one day what manner of persons ought you to be in all godliness and holiness of life when Jesus returns that's the signal that there's no thousand year reign no thousand year kingdom is going to be established on earth at that time when Jesus returns that's judgment day that's the day in which we meet our Lord Third, this evening, as we think about the idea of premillennialism, premillennialism teaches a, and I'm going to call it this, a doomsday view of the world. Things are getting much more difficult, much more dark, and, and a premillennialist will say, this is all prophesied. And they'll open passages in Revelation, for example, and they'll show you. See, the, the things that you're seeing happen politically, the, the wars that you're seeing happen around us, all these things are prophesied, and God said this was all going to happen before the end. And they're all pointing to the fact that this seven-year tribulation is going to happen and it's going to be a terrible time. You don't want to be on earth during the seven-year tribulation, they would say. A doomsday view of the world. The idea of the tribulation is that there's going to be a seven-year period, they say, prior to the second coming of Christ that will outdo any holocaust. Things will get worse than they've ever, ever been, and they've been pretty bad in many different cases in history. They argue that the battle of Armageddon that you read about in Revelation 16 will take place at the end of this. It's going to be a colossal battle and then that Jesus is going to return and bring ultimate victory. He's the one that's going to return and put an end to all this and people are going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and everybody's going to be at peace because of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So when you listen to someone who believes in dispensational premillennialism, you'll hear somebody that believes that things are getting worse and worse and worse, and this was all prophesied, they'll argue. I don't disagree that things may be getting worse in our world. I don't believe that the Bible says that there are signs that precede the second coming of Christ. In fact, quite the opposite. A couple of things about this doomsday view of the world. A lot of this circulates around an identity, a person that, that uh, premillennial friends would call the Antichrist. And they would say he's a very savvy, suave political leader and he's going to gather the nations up and they're going to, they're going to all uh, join forces with him and he's going to lead them. One problem with that is that Antichrist in the Bible is not just one person. Read the following passage with me. 1 John 2.18. Children he wrote this 2000 years ago, by the way, children, it is the last hour. That's interesting that John would say that 2000 years ago. It's the last hour. You're in the end times. We've been in the end times for 2000 years since Christ ascended and the church was established. We've been in the last days. It's the last hour. And you have heard, he says 2000 years ago, that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. What does he mean? As you read the book of 1 John, you'll find that he defines Antichrist as anybody in his day who did not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Anybody who believed in the false doctrine of Gnosticism was Antichrist. And that's the way the Bible uses the term. And so to take the term and to focus it all in and say, well, there's one man who's going to be Antichrist and he's going to lead this great battle during the seven-year tribulation, We're just taking Bible words and making them mean different things than the way the Bible uses them. There are a lot of antichrists, according to John. Even 2,000 years ago, there were many. Secondly, in this doomsday view of the world, I mentioned this a moment ago, but this is really critically important. There is a kingdom. The kingdom is here, and it is not a physical kingdom. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, but I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. A premillennialist would argue Jesus was rejected by the Jews and, you know, that he didn't see it coming and God decided to to, to postpone the kingdom and he's going to bring it into existence later on. Jesus says, I've got a kingdom. It's not of this world. Again, when you think about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, there is a king, Jesus, there are subjects, citizens, people who are loyal to Jesus Christ and have obeyed the gospel. The Bible says in Philippians 3 verse 20, when you become a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. So you've got a king, you've got citizens, you've got a law, the law of Christ, the perfect law of liberty, James 1 verse 25. And you've got a geographical area, the hearts of men. You see, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is unique in this respect. You don't have to have geographical boundaries. All you have to have is somebody, and it doesn't matter what country they find themselves in, somebody that says, I want to follow Jesus. I want to obey the gospel. And when you do that, you become the territory of the kingdom. You become the geographical area of the kingdom. And you carry the kingdom around with you everywhere you go. And what we pray for as the people of God here in Katy is that the kingdom of God might increase exponentially, that more and more souls might give themselves to Jesus because that's how the kingdom grows. It does not grow at the point of a sword. It does not grow by annexing territory. The kingdom of Christ grows when we teach the Bible and people believe it and obey it the kingdom of Christ it exists it's here it's now and you can be a part of it and you can live as a citizen of Christ's kingdom we're not looking for a millennial kingdom a thousand years uh, that's going to last for a thousand years on earth we're not looking for a rapture of people that are going to secretly disappear we are looking for the second coming of our Lord a day in which all the dead will rise Everyone will be, will be uh, before God in judgment on that day. That's what the Bible teaches about the end. Resurrection, second coming, final judgment, destruction of the earth, eternity beginning. All of those things happen at once according to Scripture. I hope this lesson has been helpful to you. Again, I don't want to misrepresent anybody and I don't want to be unkind and I hope I've not done that this evening. But these things matter because... It matters what you believe the church is. It matters what you believe the kingdom is all about. It matters when Jesus says things like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew six thirty three. it matters. These are not just academic arguments. It matters how we live our lives and why we do what we do and why we talk to people the way we do and the things that we say when we talk to people. These things matter. When you're baptized, you become a part of the church. You simultaneously become a part of the kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and we can help you obey the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess that he really is the king. He's the son of God. Repent of your sin. Be baptized. That's how citizens of the kingdom are made. If we can help you do that tonight, if we can help you to, by, by praying for you, praying with you, Won't you make your way forward down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing?